You're listening to The Healthy Sensitive. Welcome, everyone, to The Healthy Sensitive, a podcast for highly sensitive beatniks and creative renegades and introverts. Or if not one of those folks, then maybe somebody who happens to love someone who happens to be one of those things. (laughs) My name is Leah Burkhart, and I am a self-identified, highly sensitive person, introvert, health nut. And my aim in this podcast is, uh, well, selfishly, because I love talking about topics that speak to personal development and speak to not just personal development, but just things that I find interesting. So that's the selfish reason I like to talk about this stuff. But beyond that, I my aim is to help other people grapple with tough things and have hard conversations, or at least be able to have a more effective internal monologue. (laughs) So anyway, given that that's the subject that I just broached, you know, just then, as I'm recording this podcast, it is October 19th. Um, So we are only a couple of weeks out from the election. I would love to avoid talking about it, except that we are a couple of weeks out from it. So to not touch upon it seems strange. Uh, But don't worry, I'm not going to make the whole episode about the election. Uh, I bring it up, though, because I don't know about y'all, but I know about myself and I can say I've been kind of fascinated to watch the ebbs and flows and my response systems to what's going on in the world and then how I'm integrating that into my own system and then how that's affecting how effective I am. And so initially I was going to have a conversation, well, since it's just me talking, I was going to have a (laughs) self-reflection of... Uh, that kind of dove into depression. Uh, There was mental health week that was going through. And as it happens in my place of work, we're doing a lot of work around resiliency. And as all of this is going down, I've, I've been kind of intrigued. For whatever reason, I recently got into a kind of a politics kick. I know I've probably mentioned this before, but I got my bachelor's degree and uh, it was a double major in politics and economics. I was interested in health policy. And so some part of me absolutely loves politics, history, um, the, the study of systems more broadly. I find it to be fascinating. I'm just drawn to it because there's so many different pieces all coming into play. And the the curious inquisitor within me or the the investigator in me is just it's got there's so much juice there. There's so much interesting stuff to unpack. At the same time, though, it can be exhausting. So I noticed myself go into this binge of looking at the news, but I was being pretty discerning. And then I'd be watching episodes of West Wing. And then I recently watched uh, the show, The Chicago 7. And then I watched The Social Dilemma, which, I mean, you're welcome to watch any one of these things. They're all fabulous. And then when I'm not doing that, I was reading the book, The Great Influenza, because I thought, hey, what better way to understand the pandemic that we're in now, but to go and see if maybe we've endured something like it. And as it happens, yes, we have. And I will tell you this, 
if you think we're in a really rotten situation now and you want to feel like if you're feeling as though there's no way anyone can really understand what you're going through, uh, read that book because you'll suddenly feel great about your present circumstances. Whoa, great influenza. 1918 was awful. <laughs> um, you know, not to downplay COVID, but as I understand it, the great influenza of 1918, 1919 had a uh, mortality rate that was upwards of 30% or more, depending on whether you were assessing it based on influenza on its own or the aftermath of influenza which then became pneumonia I could go on and on but suffice it to say it was a lot of depressing stuff but then when not depressed I was invigorated I'm very activated right now and I watched over the course of a few weeks because if you've listened to my podcast at all you will also know that I'm a data junkie so I I I keep pretty close eye on my own body primarily because uh Part of what drew me into the wellness arena had to do with the fact that for a long time, I couldn't trust my body, or I couldn't count on it, rather. I went years without a solid night of sleep. Uh, I couldn't, I didn't have faith that when my head hit the pillow that I could reliably get sleep each night. So I dealt with chronic insomnia, which if you're not getting adequate amounts of sleep, you can understand why maybe that person would become a bit depressed and... Um, it was just a really rough thing to endure, especially in light of the fact that the times weren't that bad, but my system was just going haywire. And what I later discovered upon understanding that I just, you know, in, in grabbing books that have to do with high sensitivity and introversion and all of that, it's like, oh, oh, I kind of get it better now. I just have a nervous system that is gets activated more easily, uh, which has some great benefits, but also has some pitfalls. It's a very neutral trait. But now that I know that, I know I I have a shorter, what I often will say to people is, I just have a shorter karmic leash. You know, like some people can go off and binge drink on a weekend and they won't feel great coming home on Monday or, you know, on the first day of work going back. But I will feel like I got hit by a freight train. You know, some people can go through, have an argument with another human being and it's like, well, that was interesting and then move on. But I will chew on it and chew on it like a dog with a bone. Um, So knowing these things about me, I just understand that I'm more easily impacted. I'm more easily impacted by frightening movies. I'm more easily agitated even by invigorating movies. So as an example, the Chicago 7, idiot that I am, I want to turn it on at like 10.30 at night, think, no, 9.30, thinking two hours, I mean, it'll be done by 11.30, which is a little late, but that's okay. Oh my God. <laughs> and it's not a bad movie. It's a great movie. And if you know anything about the Chicago 7 or sort of the background of it, it's set in the 1960s, civil rights movement. There's a trial that occurs and it has to do with a riot that took place in Chicago where it was not entirely clear who the real instigators of the the ultimate like violence that occurred as a result of it. Anyway, um, it was a very activating movie. So by the time I was done watching it, my little heart rate was going a million miles an hour because I'm empathizing with these characters who are who endured this thing 50 years ago. And that's just how my system works. And whereas before, say, rewind the tape 10 years ago, I would have 
been confused and and angry and frustrated and victimized by the experience of feeling like my body was getting hijacked. Now I just understand, oh, I just saw a really suspenseful movie. And my brain is making all these connections between that which these characters experienced during that time and that which I'm experiencing now and what I think we're all kind of going through on some like there's so many connections that are getting made right now and I'm just gonna have to ride this out which is all well and good but the problem is I've been doing that on some level a little bit too much but every day and I noticed in terms of data going we're circling back there now my resting heart rate was starting to inch up and I noticed that my sleep quality was starting to come back down. And, you know, I I don't think I've, I think this is something that keeps coming up in a number of episodes. As soon as I notice my body responding to my behaviors, I sort of look with more discernment at those behaviors. Well, this was sort of odd because I didn't stop. And I watched as my system just felt beaten down and yet wound up which is another way of saying tired but wired and then in the midst of that I I was what was I gonna do I was gonna run some errands or I was going on a drive I think I was listening to a podcast and it was on the infocalypse so it's how our ability to get reliable information is starting to dissolve because it's just there's so many different sources of information and it's not entirely clear which of those sources of information are reliable and so on and so forth. And I just started crying. I just couldn't, like, I'm in the car and like a blubbering baby. I'm just like, bah, 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 bah. and I'm realizing, okay, I need to not be listening to a podcast about the information apocalypse. <laughs> like, this is just not a good idea right now. And I've had conversations with a really close friend of mine who also is a beloved sensitive bean and she has said to me on more than one occasion that she too will get this this sort of information saturation point where it's like it's not that I don't want to be informed I do it's not that I don't want to grapple with tough issues I do but I under I now understand myself well enough to know that if I keep doing that over and over and over there's this saturation point that I reach where I become ineffective and so once I encroach upon that threshold I realize that I have to dial it back and start watching like, I don't know, videos of cute kittens or something. <laughs> like I have to just sort of like, ooh, dial it back. And so in, I remembered that conversation and it's like, okay, this is too heavy. Maybe I'll listen to Brene Brown, a, a gal I bring up all the time. She, she's having a podcast right now and I'm sure that would be softer and, and you know, bubblier. And, and what is the topic about but burnout? And I'm just like, ah. Uh, yeah, baby. <laughs> so, which was great. I, I got a lot of great tips. And that just kind of was percolating in my brain. Now, so there was that that happened. And then the next day I was about to, uh, oh, well, this is the next piece that I'll, I'll tell in the story. So I'm listening to that and I'm starting to feel better if for no other reason than because I'm feeling like my emotions are being validated. It was sort of a reminder that, oh, yeah, that experience you're having right now where you're feeling tapped out and saturated, most people are feeling that way. And some of it may just be my behavior and some of it may legitimately be that we're just weeks away from an election and it feels like the stakes are pretty high and, you know, whatever happens, there's a lot of uncertainty right now and a lot of people are feeling it. So, hey, it's okay. And so then 
uh, my destination was uh, that I was going to visit my boyfriend. So I'm, I'm thinking, okay, you know, and I hadn't seen him for a few weeks for one reason or another, um, logistical, and then, you know, one of us or the other was not feeling well. And in a time of COVID, you don't exactly want to be like, hey, baby, come here, give me a kiss. <laughs> like, that's not, it's probably not, uh, sometimes sharing isn't caring, let's just say that. <laughs> so... And I knew I missed the guy because I was thinking, you know, it's like, I haven't seen you in a while. Oh, bummer. Like, yay, I get to go see you. But I don't think I was counting on the very, you know, take the woo-woo lovey-dovey stuff out for a second. I knew I would feel great because, oh, there's this person that I love and I get to spend some time with and that feels great. But take the story part out of that just watching my body respond to being in the presence of a human being that I now get to sit next to, to touch, to laugh with, to not be like just living in my own head, stewing about the information apocalypse and the social dilemma or, you know, you name whatever other apocalyptic, either historical novel or or historical, like, what's the word I'm looking for? It's really not that interesting of a word. It's a documentary. (laughs) Like take, I had been sort of stewing in all of that and immersing myself in it and then getting myself all worked up. And when I wasn't worked up about all of that stuff, that stuff that's outside of me, then I was also being very neurotic about my own behaviors around meditation and getting enough sleep and, and look at my resting heart rate go up. And, um, I'm not, OCD at all not even I'm, I'm okay uh, <laughs> but suddenly I watched as all of that just melted away and I it was a reminder of oh that's right there's this whole other part of life you know the real stuff of life that I've been cut off from mostly and not in the sense that someone is forcibly forcibly keeping me away from other humans but just a combination of wanting to be conscientious as, as well as circumstances. And I left from that visit feeling relaxation all the way into the bone. Like it, it, it massaged something within me that is not, uh, is very difficult to describe with concrete language. Except to say that, um, so I guess if I were going to try and use concrete language, I, I watched as my shoulders, which I didn't realize were in a perpetual state of bunchedness, but they were starting to melt a little. Um, my breathing starting to slow. Um, my heart feeling lighter. And I don't mean my metaphorical heart. I mean, quite literally my organ, the, the organ that is the pump in the chest. Um, it, it didn't feel as heavy. And this is as concrete a language as I can use for it. And then I got home, I slept pretty well, and I woke up and sure enough, my resting heart rate had come down as well. And I bring all of this sort of biometric ness into the fold because when I woke up today I had to wake up pretty early I there's a a secondary job that I took on and I'm going through all of that kind of stuff and when I was done with all of it I was thought oh I'm gonna listen to a podcast and I studiously avoided the information apocalypse or the social dilemma or the you know all of the dark dark stuff that is great and really informative but just maybe not right now 
and uh, stumble on a podcast that's hosted by Lex Friedman. And if you haven't listened to his podcast, by the way, um, as much as I selfishly would love you to listen to me, I, I might even tell you right now, just push the stop button and go search Lex Friedman and uh, subscribe because he's fabulous and he has some phenomenal speakers come onto his show. There's my parenthetical, parenthetical side note. Um, but at any rate, he happened to have a, a uh, guest speaker that is one of my favorite researchers. And I've mentioned her um, more than once at Lisa Feldman Barrett. She's a, I know she has a degree in psychology. I don't know if it was a PsyD or a PhD in psychology, but I know that is one element that she has going for her. And I do believe she was a clinical psychologist. And then she thought, well, then that's not enough. Let's just move on in and get a PhD in neuroscience because, well, obviously, (laughs) a brilliant woman. And I'm listening to the two of them speak about emotions because she she's revolutionized my understanding of what emotions are and I I would say assumptions I had about the way emotions move in the body and in the mind Uh, and she's basically just very politely taken that and shredded it like a paper shredder and um forced me to have to use new language and she too, at some point, at one point or another, started talking about burnout and the experience of kind of feeling like you're you're uh, overwhelmed. She didn't. I don't think she used the word saturation point, but that, of course, when when synchronicities like that start to come to pass, that's generally when I start thinking, ah, this is I could do a podcast on this. So before I jump in with all of these different people, because I'm going to talk about a number of different. Well, as a true nerd would, uh, I'm going to have to go into a lot of stuff and talk about a number of writers that I trust. Um, and to begin with, since I mentioned that this was really going to be about burnout, I want to begin with kind of what is burnout? What are the symptoms of it? And I want to say too, um, this definition, I don't remember who the original, uh, I don't know who the original person was who, who sort of framed this but I do know that with Emily and Amelia Nagasaki uh, they wrote a book called Burnout and they review what burnout is and they it's basically three things uh, physical exhaustion um, cynicism or, or depersonalization and then a, a feeling of being ineffective inefficacy feeling incompetent um, feeling like you can't uh, influence what's going on in your life competently so that was more or less how I was feeling. And I thought, wow, that's, I could do a podcast on that. So why would we all be feeling that right now? Um, So, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious why I'd be talking about it, but what is it that's happening on a biophysical level? So I want to begin with Lisa Barrett and what some of the, the insightful things that she brought forward in her conversation with Lex Friedman. So, First of all, what is stress? Like, as burnout happens when we have, we are inundated with stress all the time that doesn't get a chance to kind of go through its full cycle. And that cycling effect is, uh, I'll talk about in a little bit more, in more detail in a moment. But really, stress is uh, feel, getting activated. And stress isn't good, it's not bad, it's just. Lisa Feldman Barrett uh, often used talks about the brain as being a um, 
a body budgeter. So the brain's job is really just to allocate resources, both physically and mentally. And it's a giant prediction machine. It's just constant. So it's doing two things. It's looking in the past perpetually and creating patterns and associations and connections. And then using that information to try and predict what's going to happen in the next second, two seconds, moment, hour, etc. It's doing that on a constant basis. And then every time that we are correct, it kind of refigures that into the prediction cycle. And every time we're proven wrong, that now interrupts the, our prediction cycle. It augments it. It's like now we have a new set of predictions. We thought we could predict what was going to happen, but it turns out maybe not. So that's what the brain is perpetually doing. It's a perpetual prediction making machine. <laughs> um, so when we're starting to feel burnout, often it's because, well, we're, we're in situations that are metabolically expensive too often. So what do I mean by metabolically expensive? Well, let's say that you are a marathon runner. Running long distances, 26.2 miles to be exact, is uh, difficult to do. It's hard on the body. That's a metabolically expensive thing to engage in. And so the brain is perpetually in a state where it's having to allocate resources to it. Part of what can help us refuel when we're exercising to that extent is uh, very physical food, getting enough food, getting enough sleep, getting enough rest, Um, having a training cycle that is uh, appropriate for that degree of movement. But burnout is more around the realms of uh, emotional uh, exhaustion. And so how are we, how is it that we're getting emotionally exhausted? Well, as it turns out, when we are stressed, we produce cortisol, which by the way, cortisol is not actually a stress hormone. A lot of people call it one, but that's not entirely accurate. It would be more accurate to say that it is simply a means by which, like when it's turned on, sugar goes into our bloodstream, glucose goes directly into our bloodstream. And that movement is what allows for our bodies to either do one of two things, either move or learn. I didn't realize that second one. That second one was very, it was fascinating to me. And it's so, what she then was, again, Barrett is saying is, we're in a situation right now where we are all having to engage in metabolically expensive maneuverings. Like, so when we're trying to learn something new or we have to adapt, like we love novelty and diversity in our lives. Our brains thrive on it, but we don't thrive on it if it's happening perpetually. So what she brought to light was this notion that we are all right now engaged in a constant series of changes on on a magnitude that is beyond that which we've had experienced before. At least most of us that are alive today have not experienced this many changes happening this rapidly that were sustained this long. It's just a lot of adaptation that we're having to engage in. And to do that perpetually is expensive. At a certain point, the brain stops spending money. So if you've run out of money, you stop spending it. What that looks like in your money budget is you stop going to the store and buying stuff. What that looks like with the body is we stop losing our capacity to learn new things, uh, to extend curiosity, to be even empathetic. Even the very act of being empathetic with another person requires a measure of curiosity. Um, Barrett also mentioned something I thought was fascinating. She says, 
that in order to put ourselves in the shoes of someone else that is unrecognizable to us, so someone that is different, and remember, we live in the, well, I do at least, you might be listening to this um, from a country that's more homogenous, but in this country, it's an extremely diverse country, uh, both in the sense of like whether it's racial diversity, it's also cultural diversity, ideological diversity. Um, there's a lot of different pockets of people. And to engage in a conversation with someone who has different ideas or experiences or has physical differences, it's it's challenging for the brain to do that. Not impossible. And in fact, it can be invigorating. Like it can be a really positive challenge. But there has to be enough money, so to speak, in the bank account to account for that expense. And right now we are all being taxed to the max. So many people that I know in my life are talking to me about how every person they know, it's just like, I don't know what's going on, but it just feels like everyone is going a little bit crazy. So whether it's, um, hey, my guys at work, they're losing their damn mind. And it's, I, I'm, I'm a manager and I have to figure out how to lead these people. And I hopefully do that without killing them because they're absolutely driving me crazy. Or I'll hear my family is they're, they're falling apart or, you know, conflicts between spouses are intensifying. They're, it's just everywhere you look or everywhere I look, at least I'm seeing people seemingly just crack. And the most frustrating part about it is that there's no one thing that any of us can point to and say that, that right there, that's the reason that I'm in so much pain. It's a, really a perfect storm of things happening. It's that we are being asked to do massive amounts of adaptation. So remember, we're adapting to a new thing. Our brains love it. It's not bad. So I don't want to leave the impression that the, the key to reducing our suffering is to always have a predictable life. But we do need some measure of predictability. Our brains count on that, or at least our, our brains need that to kind of feel like, all right, we can, we can take a rest for a minute because it makes it less metabolically expensive. Uh, it's part of why routines are so satisfying to us because there's a sense of like, okay, I know that when I do this, I can reliably predict that this next thing will follow. So we need a balance and a balance looks different for different people. I know I've talked about what it is to have, to be a highly sensitive person. Basically to be highly sensitive kind of means that we are less sensitive to rewards. Um, We are more sensitive to risk. You can also be someone who is a sensation seeker, which means you're more comfortable with risk. And well, you may or may not be comfortable with risk, but you will um, be much more sensitive to rewards. And you could be obnoxiously both of those things. Um, So you could be both sensitive to reward as well as sensitive to risk. So everyone's balance looks different. It's sort of another way of saying it is this. We all need the same ingredients to make the the recipe that is our best selves it's just that our each one of our recipes is a little bit different so if you were to use the analogy of you know baking cookies some of us require more flour or less some some require one egg others three some might require more sugar or less um you know so it's we all need the same ingredients it's not like any of us can survive without connection or without um, rest, or without movement, or, or nourishment in a nutritional sense. 
it's just we all need different amounts of that and at different times in our lives. So we are trying to figure out our own balance every single day. How much novelty do I need and how much predictability do I need? Um, It's different for each person and for a singular person, it's different depending on what's going on in the context of their lives. So there's all of that. So in essence, why are we burning out? Because we're imbalanced in the realm of too much change, too much adapting that we're having to do, and it's not letting up. We're, We're having to do it consistently, extensively, perpetually. And what happens when we burn out? Well, here's something interesting. So in terms of biometrics, as an example, if your heart rate is at a certain level, it's been proven in terms of what happens when you're looking at a brain scan that you are literally less able to see what is in front of you. So now take that concept and apply that into an interpersonal exchange especially between two people who have different life experiences and who can't comprehend each other. In my mind, again, this is October 19th, 2020, I'm not even going to go the route of race or cultural difference. Well, I guess this would be a cultural difference. But I'm given that we're encroaching upon an election, I'm thinking of a Biden supporter versus a Trump supporter. These are two people that I'll hear often say, each of the other, I can't comprehend. Like, How could you be an intelligent human being and vote for Trump? And then the other would say, how can you be an intelligent human being and vote for Biden or for that matter, any Republican or any Democrat? And when our system isn't being taxed to the extent that our system is right now, we can get curious. We are more capable of having difficult conversations. But as it stands right now, our heart rates are perpetually. I mean, just take my one example, and I'm monitoring my heart rate pretty closely because I am a neurotic, obsessive, compulsive <laughs> nerd. <laughs> okay, not clinically. Uh, at least I've never been formally diagnosed. But I mean, kind of. <laughs> anyway, here's something also to know about us as human beings. Um, we, you know, other people, we, we are social creatures. We are natural creatures who need nurturing. So, the way that Barrett puts it is, you know, other humans are both the best and worst things for us. We need them to help us balance our budget, our body budget. When we're at, this is, and again, this kind of speaks to the, the one day I got to have with my beloved. I didn't realize the deficit that I was facing until suddenly I was in the presence of someone who, unbeknownst to himself, I mean, it's not like I showed up and said, just so you're aware, um, my body budget is low. So I'd really love it if you could like give me a deposit. I get that wasn't the language we were speaking. It was more like I walk into the door and I give him a hug. And suddenly my body budget has shifted such that I now have been given a deposit. So the downside on the flip side of all of this is that he, another human that we don't get along with can deplete us faster than we can even deplete ourselves. So this now kind of brings me to the, the, the notion that if you spend a lot of time engaged in things that are um, depleting you, or if you're spending time with people and you notice that you have less energy than you had when you got there, that's, a, that's an indicator to you that 
it's a person who's going to be taking away from your body budget and you might want to spend a little bit less time with them and maybe gravitate towards someone who you leave feeling more energized. But now the shadow side of that is that it's going to silo all of us into these areas where we're suddenly less and less capable of talking to people who are different from ourselves because we just don't have the budget for it. And so now all of this is probably very um, depressing. I swear, though, we're getting into some of the pragmatic tools, tips, tricks, and so on that can be quite helpful. So we're in burnout. Um And I know because I'm exhausted and I'm feeling kind of cynical and I'm feeling like I'm less effective in the world. So there we go. I'm there. So now what? What do I do? Here are the tools that were brought forward by Emily and Amelia Nagasaki. Um, The first one, movement. And this will come up in every single, I mean, there, there really is not, well, I can't say that there's never an exception or like... I can't think of one. I'll just say that. When there is stress and tension, one of the best things that you can do is move your body because it utilizes what Amelia and Emily uh, would say about stress and burnout and sort of the, the emotion cycle. That's how they refer to it, cycles of stress. When we, enge- when we are uh, exposed to something that is even mildly to moderately to maybe even extremely traumatic, There's a cycle that needs to go through. And if we allow the cycle to go full force, you know, call the way through the cycle, um, that's when we can sort of relax and and be okay again. So they're sort of on the camp of stress isn't necessarily bad so long as you expend and go through the full cycle of it. it. The problem comes up when you get stuck in the middle of the tunnel. So if you're not thinking in terms of cycles, you can also think in terms of a tunnel If you get stuck in the dark tunnel, that's when we get into trouble. So, okay, what does that really mean? Uh, They gave some great examples in their talk about this. They said, you know, sometimes we do it and it's the appropriate thing to do. So as an example, uh, I'm a woman, I'm walking down the street and a couple of guys say, hey, baby, come on, baby, give me a smile. Now, what I would like to do is promptly turn around and punch him in the face, but in all likelihood, all five foot three of me and all foot, all six foot two of him, it's probably not going to go well. I'm going to escalate the situation and I'm not likely going to come out the winner. So I keep walking. I, I keep my mouth shut. I ignore it. That stress cycle hasn't been given an opportunity to come full circle. I haven't allowed myself to really process the experience and the emotions and the sensations that are in my body. Well, that's all fine. I made the right choice. So when I talk about getting stuck in the tunnel, that's not always a bad move. Sometimes the, you know, time and place rationale is appropriate. But once I get to where I am physically safe, I need to process that stuff, whether it's writing it down, whether it's kind of chewing on it or or whatever. So I need to go through that full cycle. The same is true with all kinds of stressful events that might be happening in your life. Um, Just to name a few, um, you know, a pandemic as an example, or, you know, maybe economic upheaval in your life, or, I don't know, um, civil uh, unrest, or political election, or (laughs) like, all of these things can feel extremely high stakes. These aren't little things that we're dealing with. We are all dealing with it. It can, in some ways, it can feel small because it's not 
right in front of our faces in our own homes in, in the tangible sense. You know, civil unrest isn't a physical character who's knocking on my door. Um, economic turmoil is not a an actual physical tiger who's going to eat me in a real way. But they are painful. And they are linked up with our ideas about survival. You know, for whether you're a Trump supporter, a Biden supporter, or I guess I'll say a political agnostic who doesn't really care one way or the other, it can feel like it's a high stakes game. Both sides think the other side is absolutely crazy and that the, the country could fall apart if the wrong person is chosen. I mean, that's, that's a rough spot to be in. That emotional experience, whether or not there's actually a tiger in the room, is real and it feels concrete. So with all of that having been said, let's get to the juicy stuff now. Like, how do you complete the cycle? Like, if you're in burnout, how do you dig yourself out? So again, one is movement because you're expending the cortisol. Remember I said that uh, Elisa Feldman Barrett marked that cortisol is not necessarily a stress hormone, but it's produced when we are stressed because it is putting sugar into the bloodstream. Well, that's a problem if we don't use it. It's not a problem at all if we do. And one of the best ways to use it is either to learn or to move. The problem with learning is, once again, if you're feeling kind of tapped out, your brain's capacity to learn new things is going to be thoroughly diminished. Movement, on the other hand, less so. It's not as taxing. Unless, of course, you've been also training for a marathon in the midst of all of this, which, I mean, hats off to you <laughs> if you have. The next one, breathing. I know I've mentioned this in a number of other techniques or podcasts, but it's very specifically trying to uh, breathe deeply and then, if at all possible, have your exhale be longer than your inhale. So breathing in. That was about four seconds. And now breathe out six seconds. If all, I mean, you don't have to breathe that loudly. I'm just doing it loudly so you can get in a sense. But if you engage in that all on its own, that can activate the rest and digest response in the system. It can tell your body, tell your mind that you are in fact safe. Okay, so, oh, and fun fact, if you are thinking that deep breathing is for sissies, uh, the two groups of people, and this is according to Brene Brown's research, who engage in mindful breathing one of them is yoga teachers, so the woo-woo accusation might not be far-fetched. The other, soldiers. So there. Some badass mama jahamas are out there too doing some deep breathing exercises, so maybe you should like integrate it. Um, number three, connecting with other people. And connecting doesn't have to mean physical touch. It can mean a phone call where you vent. It can mean... Um, and, it, and it can be really superficial. So when Amelia and Emily were talking about this, uh, they said, you know, even if you're in a, a coffee shop and you've just ordered a latte and you comment on the person's earrings and you have a, a friendly and affable conversation, that can be enough to help complete the cycle. Laughter is the next one. And not no fair doing the fake laugh. Not the socially polite laugh where you laugh at the joke that isn't actually all that funny. It's the kind of the ugly laugh you know the laugh you're embarrassed about like the <laughs> like you know the laugh that you go oh my god I can't believe I did that or it's like oh my god don't make me laugh any harder I'm gonna pee my pants <laughs> like that kind of laugh 
um, the, the tickle, the, the knowing laughter is another way they put it. So it's like if you're in a circle with a bunch of people who are having a hard time and someone remarks on something in their life that everyone else in the room can, can relate to. This is what comedians do masterfully. They comment on something in a novel way and they bring it to light and they, they show the absurdity of it. And everyone laughs because everyone can relate to it. Everyone goes, oh my God, I've totally had that experience. <laughs> so the next one is affection. So connection and affection you would think would be the same, but they are slightly different. Um, the, uh, affection is a little bit more tangible. It's a little bit uh I guess lengthier potentially an example they draw from is a 20 second hug and it doesn't have to be 20 seconds per se but the idea is to commit to holding a person until both of you just relax into each other you're not collapsing but there's this moment of just oh there it is like you just breathe each other in it's the kind of it's when you hold the space for each other in a very very tangible way that's the kind of affection they're talking about. Uh, the next one, a big old cry. A friend of mine said, you know, she was taking her blood pressure and it was going to a really high counts, especially for her age, very young woman. And she was legitimately nervous, but she was also going through a lot. I mean, stuff at home, stuff with family, along with all the things that the rest of us are looking at when we just pick up a newspaper and she thought, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And then finally, it just exploded in a big old cry. Um, and she even told me later it was an ugly cry. And she took her blood pressure. I just out of curiosity because she had a cuff at home. And she thought, I'm just curious. She took it. And immediately after her big old cry, her blood pressure came to almost perfectly normal. So when people try and say that whatever it is that you're feeling in an emotional space isn't real, um, yes, it is. Because, and this is going back to Barrett's work, emotions are just concepts. It's something that can be very useful to remember. Like, and what do I mean by concept? Okay, so the, the example that Barrett gives is, I want, answer the question, what protects you from the rain? Well, you can say an umbrella, you can say a raincoat, you can say uh, a ceiling, a house. Uh, it can also be a state of mind. I'm protected from the rain when I just don't give a damn and I'm willing to get wet. Uh, none of those has anything to do, like it, it doesn't have a whole lot in common with the other. Like maybe an umbrella and a raincoat will sort of, but one is something you wear and the other is something you hold and then... An apartment is something that you live in and then a state of mind is, well, but they're all categorized now in the same category because it's a functional similarity. Uh, money is very similar. You know, there's, what is, you know, in terms of a currency, if you were to go from the start of human history to today, trying to determine a commonality with the currency from shells to stones to gold to paper, well, to, to mortgage and concepts and credit. So then, well, what do they have in common? Well, it's a functional commonality that they all share. The same is true with emotions. Emotions are sort of like currency. Sadness doesn't have a very specific blueprint any more than joy. But we've, when we experience a series of sensations, we've been coached by parents, by our culture, by society 
to create a language around those sensations. Like, oh, I feel heavy and I tears are coming out of my eyes and I, I feel physical pain in my chest. Oh, I think I'm heartbroken. Um, I'm laughing and it's involuntary and I feel bubbly and like jubilant. Or I, I feel bubbly and light and um, giddy and it's like, oh, I'm, I'm joyful. That's joy. But they're all just a series of sensations. Um, so it can, it can be, it's easy to then go to, okay, well, then emotions aren't real. Well, but they are, they are real concepts that we've developed. And those, and they're concepts that stem from real physical sensations in our bodies that our, our mind, our brain is using in terms of, okay, well, this is something we've experienced in the past. The last time we had these sensations, that was what happened in, in terms of the story. So now we can take those sensations and apply it here and ah yes sadness or you know so the big old cry it it can be very helpful to just allow that release there is an important caveat here though it's important to pay attention to the the experience of crying itself so just allowing it and surrendering to it and really getting into the sensation of it the sensation of like what's going on in my stomach and in my chest and my breathing and we, what is it that I'm feeling on a physical level and not go into, okay, what is the story that I'm playing in my head that's making me want to cry? Because if you keep replaying the story, you're just continuously creating unnecessary suffering. It's more about the sensation. So when you allow just the sensation of a big old cry, that's what really allows for the release. Um, the next one, creative expression. So anytime you can take what it is that you're experiencing and, and create something from it. So I think it was uh, Carrie Fisher who was quoted having said, take your broken heart and make it into art. It's the ability, and it doesn't have to be a tangible thing, although it can be. You can knit a scarf from it. You can uh, paint a picture that encapsulates your experience of sadness. Um, you can dance in an expressive way. It's just something that moves what it is that you're feeling into a tangible realm, something that allows you to express it in a novel way. And so um, how do you know, though, when you've applied all of these things, if it's worked, you will feel it. So when it's, as an example, when I mentioned the hug or, you know, spending time with my beloved, I could feel it in my body. And then lo and behold, I look at my, you know, you know, Fitbit watch and the next day it calculated that my resting heart rate had come down. So it's not a feel it as in, I feel happy now. It's a feel it as in, oh, on a very physiological level, I there is a discerning difference. And with when it comes to self-care, by the way, another piece that these these ladies bring into the fold is you have to remember self-care requires a bubble of protection. So it's really hard to practice self-care if you live in a household of other people that aren't willing to validate the need for you to take time for yourself, you know, who aren't willing to protect your eight hours of sleep right along with you. So that's something if you do live with other people, which just now comes back to Barrett's work around, you know, how other people can either make deposits or withdrawals to our body budget. When there are people around us are willing to help protect our self-care practices, it's going to remain intact. Um, if they are not there to help protect it, they will continue to make withdrawals probably faster than we can de- make deposits into our, our body budget. And another line that I loved in listening to them is, 
You know, wellness is not a state of mind or a state of being. Wellness is an action. Just like learning is not a place you get to. Learning is an action. So whether or not you're engaging in wellness has everything to do with what your your behavior is and has very little to do with the outcome. It's not like, oh, you're not sick, therefore you are well. Not precisely. You know, engaging in the act of trying to, you know, wellness is a practice. And so when you engage in these kinds of actions, it's not like, oh, and now you should always feel good all the time. It's an orientation. You're moving toward a, a version of yourself that you think is a most effective version of yourself. Um, why speak to all of this? You know, how is, can this be specific to highly sensitive people? Quite frankly, it isn't specific to highly sensitive people or introverts. Uh, I will say, though, that I think it's especially relevant, you know, to bring this topic of conversation into a podcast for highly sensitive people because we are that we are folks that have nervous systems that are more easily activated. So the upside to that is that we tend to be uh, very adaptable to change. The downside to that is that it will tax our body budgets uh, with more severity, or at least it will do it faster. That goes back to that concept of having a shorter karmic leash. So if we are more easily agitated, that what that means is, in all likelihood, we probably are more susceptible to burnout than the average person, or at least we will experience burnout faster. Another way of saying it is we are canaries, and it doesn't make us weak. It just makes us responsive. We're very responsive to changes in our environment. So if we just burn out, well, big deal, right? Because I mean, why not just then leave it to the tough guys to deal with life? And my answer to that is we need empathetic people more than ever. Like in a time when there is so much change happening, and we are all kind of feeling tapped out. It's happening at a time when we need empathy and the ability to get curious and the ability to learn new things better, more often, more effectively. And so highly sensitive people are, it's not that they are more empathetic. They just, they have the ability to empathize with ease because they're so sensitive, again, to their environment. And that includes the people that are in their environment. This world doesn't need less woo-woo softness in their lives. It needs more. We need more compassion. We need more ability to learn and take on new things. And so it's not just about highly sensitive people needing to, you know, engage in these activities for their own selves. It's also to do it out of a sense of duty. You know, if, if we're... In, on the whole, more sensitive to other people's pain, and we want to be effective in the world, but we're burned out, which quite literally will mean that we are physically exhausted, will be more cynical, less able to see the beauty in the world, and we also will feel less effective in it. Well, then the very people this world needs the most are going to be tapped out and saying, nope, nope, leave it to the warriors, let them go. This is not the time for that. It's this is a time to, to dare greatly. This is a time to be brave. But you can't go out there and be brave and go and try and help people around you if you are burned out. You, you won't want to. You won't be able to. So then if we engage in all of those things I talked about, all seven of them, the, the moving, the connecting with other people, the um, 
you know, laughing, the expressions of affection, um, you know, what were the, what were the others? I'll have to go back in the notes. Uh, oh yeah, creative expression. Um, and then, I know I mentioned laughing, but, oh yeah, deep breathing. And mindfulness, etc. Okay, so. If you do all of those things, then poof, ipso facto, ipso facto, like you're done now. I mean, yes, but I would just also uh, reiterate the acronym that I quite frequently bring to the fold. And this piece, I will, I will add, it's not just applicable to HSPs, but it's just uh, all the more necessary, I would say, for HSPs. And that's the stronger acronym. So... S is for having a spiritual practice. And I want to remind folks, spiritual practice does not necessarily mean a religion. Like in my case, uh, my spiritual practice has uh, is a yoga practice, you know, practice in the philosophy of yoga. It connects me to something that feels bigger than myself. So it can be a philosophy. It can be connecting with nature. It can be a walk uh, near the ocean. You know, something that allows for you to have the experience of awe. That, I think, is what I'm really referring to. And if it's through an omnipotent being or a philosophy, great. But if it's just a tangible, beautiful scene, great. Something that feels bigger than yourself. Um, T is... um, Wow, time to recharge. My brain just totally just cut out there for a minute. So spiritual practice, T is time to recharge. And there are people who are introverts, so maybe recharging means time alone. And then there are people who are more extroverted. Maybe time to recharge is connecting with other people. But whatever it is, it's doing something that brings you joy. Like, this is something, and this is now coming from Mel Robbins, not to be confused with Tony Robbins. We have Mel Robbins now, uh, a uh, self-help speaker. She herself was... I think she was she went to law school I know she's an attorney but then she had her own personal journey of burnout and then clawed herself out of it out of burnout and depression and so then she is did a lot of work around okay what is it that happy people all have in common she said happy people all do things that make them happy like it's a practice they practice joy and so she in essence, was saying, you know, like, you have to make it a commitment to do something that specifically brings you joy. So that's what I mean by time to recharge, you know, time to do something that brings you joy. R is relationships, you know, making sure that you are connecting with people that feed you. Now I'm going to refer back to Barrett's work, you know, people that help to make deposits into your body budget, not withdrawals. And then if you have people in your life that you love, but who right now are making serious withdrawals from you, having tough conversations or drawing healthy boundaries. And if you want to go back into some of the research on boundaries, it's very simple. Um, What's okay and what's not okay. Um, And just being assertive with what your needs are. Not coming from a place of you as in you bastard, but from a place of I as in I need. Uh, Next is... O for outlet, creative outlet. And now that circles back into what we talked about just a few minutes ago, how creative expression can be so powerful for anyone. But it appears to be true that for highly sensitive people in particular, creative expression is a necessity. 
the thing is, if you're feeling things more intensely, if the nervous system, the wiring that is in your brain is constantly getting inundated with, you know, and getting activated, that also means that there's going to be more nuance and more subtlety and more granularity in your emotional experience. That's part of the reason why highly sensitive people have a tendency to be great writers and great artists. Not only those things. HSPs make great leaders, managers, lawyers, doctors. Um, You know, if they can hack it. (laughs) Kidding, kidding. I'm an HSP. I'm allowed to make jokes. But it's the reason why... It's not like every artist is an HSP, but quite a number of highly sensitive people practice some form of an art because it seems to be life-giving and is nourishment and I mean that both in terms of eating healthy food so it's funny Barrett actually mentioned this as well she talks about nutrition and she said here's something counterintuitive you know I love carbohydrates and I always thought that my uh, go-to preferences for them have had everything to do with me trying to get more carbs and it turns out our bodies mostly are eating in response to regulating how much protein we take in and if we don't get enough protein then we'll eat more carbs to compensate because even foods that have carbohydrates usually have trace amounts of protein. And she said, even though that's not intuitive for me, I still now eat, uh, deliberately try and eat regular amounts of protein throughout the day. Which, by the way, doesn't mean you need to be like an Atkins, Atkins like uh, absurd quantity of protein human. It's just having regular doses throughout the day. Um, what I often tell people is every two to four hours, um, Try and eat something that has something with some protein in it. So that's meat or fish if you're omnivorous, um, beans, nuts, and seeds if you're more vegan, and it would include uh, eggs and dairy if you're just vegetarian. But, uh, and there's some protein in vegetables as well, but that's going to be a pretty solid source. And then you combine that with something that has some fiber. And fiber are going to be your plants, your fruits, your vegetables, and your whole grains. And when you do both of those things at once, you're regulating your blood sugar. Remember when we talked about stress and how cortisol gets produced? Well, you produce cortisol, sugar goes into your bloodstream. If you're a good little person, like a good Samaritan, and you move your body, now all of that gets washed out of your system. And now you get to be calm and hungry. (laughs) So nourishing your body and giving it the fuel it needs to fight another day is really important for all human beings, but especially so for HSP. Uh, G is growth, engaging in something that helps you grow. I'm going to put a pause on that for right now, however, because quite frankly, we all have plenty of opportunities for growth. Everywhere we look, there is novelty. So for, and this is true for me, I've slowed down in my output of content. I mean, I would love to say that I'm an entrepreneur, but I'm going to be honest with you. Like I have two jobs and they get, I'm paid by someone else. I wouldn't be able to call myself an entrepreneur, I, but I can call myself a content creator. I love creating content that I would dearly hope to think that like it is helpful to others. Um, but even I am noticing my ability to produce content, which is usually something that feeds me, is diminished because that's my growth exercise usually. It's like, I'm going to do something that makes me a little uncomfortable. I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to make more blogs or podcasts or courses. 
And right now, that's rough. I mean, I the stamina isn't there. And so if, if you're feeling this on occasion, where you're feeling like, I want to do something that makes me a little uncomfortable, but I'm so tired, quite frankly, even just engaging in the world and doing that without attacking other people or hiding or, you know, just living your life right now is an exercise in growth because to stay the course when there's this much change in the world is rough. So give yourself a little slack there. Um, E is exercise. And I know I already talked about movement and R is rest. And I want to get a little specific here. When I say rest, I'm going to pull on Elaine Aaron's uh, rest formula, which is uh, be in bed for eight to 10 hours every day, even if you're not sleeping, and then spend at least two hours some at some point in the day doing something that is sort of a wind down activity. It can be a light walk. It can be sitting out in nature. It can be, you know, sitting by the fire with your pup, It whatever, but something that is restful and not maybe listening to podcasts on apocalyptic doomsday-ness. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Um, so that is my podcast on burnout. So I, if I were to sort of try and pull all of this and condense it into sort of a soundbite, what I would say is if you're feeling burned out right now, that's just appropriate. How do you know if you're feeling burned out? Your body will probably tell you, but the mark is physical exhaustion, feeling kind of cynical and feeling like you're just, I can't do anything to make any dent. I can't put a dent in this. And if you're feeling that way, don't feel any shame around it. That's, I mean, it's good to be honest about it and also know that you can get yourself out. And it's not about going from black to white or white to black. It's not about shifting from one extreme to the other. It's about making taking actions that are oriented toward um, relief from your suffering, which, as a reminder, includes the stronger principles, so spiritual practice, time to recharge, you know, spending time with your people, having a creative outlet, nourishing your body, exercising and resting. And then, of course, some of the other things we talked about included, you know, genuine affection, laughter, um, breathing. Remember, try and have your exhale be longer than your inhale. Um, yeah, that's that's basically the end of that. And while I know I said that, you know, I'm experiencing some burnout myself, that by no means should indicate to you that you don't want that, you know, oh, I don't want to hear from anybody because if you're feeling burned out yourself if you're feeling like man I'm at my wits end my wits end here and I I feel kind of lost and I feel alone you know please don't hesitate to reach out and just say hey you mentioned something about burnout me too <laughs> like um pretty shortly I'm going to be starting to re uh, like I'm, I'm going to be putting out some events uh, probably about once a month um, I'm also going to restart the meetup group although it's going to be all virtual for now uh, so tip, keep an eye on that. I haven't launched anything just yet, primarily because, once again, burnout. If you want to connect with me, you can reach me. Uh, email is leah, L-E-A-H, at thehealthysensitive.com. Um, you can also find my content at my website, www.thehealthysensitive.com. And here's hoping that we, like, we'll get through this together one day at a time, 
mm, one breath at a time. I don't know. Anyway, um, I'd love to tell you that I will check in next week. I sincerely hope I do it. And if I don't, it's not because I don't love you. It's because I'm late tired. <laughs> okay. Bye. <laughs>